through 12. Luke 12, 1 through 12. Uh, so last week, if you were here, you might remember that uh, our text focused on the topic of hypocrisy and the dangers of living as a hypocrite. Uh, well, this week, the, the emphasis of the, the text slightly shifts for, uh, to how we can free ourselves from hypocrisy and free ourselves from seeking the approval of others, uh, what is sometimes called the fear of man, which is the close companion of hypocrisy. Uh, so please follow along as I read, uh, starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 12. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He, being Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come and we pray that as we come to your word, Father, you would strengthen our faith, that you would grow within us the, the boldness to acknowledge you and confess you before others. Father, that we would fear you and not others. Your word says that blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but who delights and meditates on your word. So, Father, we pray that you would give us a delight in your word today. A delight not just to hear it, but to follow it, to know it, that we would love it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, there is a, a good deal of research that shows that children who grew up with very harsh or demanding parents or, or parents who, who rarely showed them love, well, they often struggle with people-pleasing or, or seeking the approval of others as they grow older. Children who, who grow up with unloving parents try to do whatever they can to, to please those parents and to, to earn their love and affection as they're growing up. Children who grow up with parents who are very harsh and, and critical, well, they seek to do whatever they can to avoid the criticism of their parents. They want to stay on their good side. Well, this can, can easily turn them into something of hypocrites as they, as they learn to put on the right outward show to either avoid the criticism of their parents or in the hopes of earning their love. 
Now they learn to, to do this from a young age, and this can bleed over or influence or impact their other relationships as they grow older. They simply learn to, to put on a mask in the hopes of winning the approval of others that they did not find from their parents. They spend their lives chasing the love and approval and acceptance of others. And this becomes crippling. It leads to an anxiety-filled existence because the love and approval of others is never guaranteed. The love and approval of others is uncertain. You may please people at one moment. You may find their favor at one moment. But you are never sure whether you will the next. Friends, this may sound familiar to many of you, even those of you who may have had very loving parents, because we are all tempted to live for the approval of others. We are all tempted to desire the approval of others above all else. It's not a bad thing to want others to, to like us and approve of us, but it becomes crippling and spiritually destructive when it is what we seek above all else. And so how can we find freedom from the endless chase for the approval of others? How can we find freedom from the hypocrisy that comes when we chase the approval of others? Well, it's to have a right understanding of God. Our verses for this morning reveal that we cannot hide our true selves from God. And it is His approval that truly matters. But our verses also reveal that unlike the people around us, God has a, a steadfast, a, a faithful love, a, a certain love that we can count on. And therefore, we as God's people are called to fear God and not man, to seek his approval and not the approval of others. And so the, the main idea of these verses and therefore this sermon this morning is freedom from the fear of man or people pleasing. So Freedom from people-pleasing comes through fearing the God who sees, loves, and strengthens you. Freedom from people-pleasing comes through fearing the God who sees and loves and strengthens you. And so it's those three biblical truths that I want us to consider this morning. So the three points for the sermon are that one, God sees you. It's going to come from verses one through three. The second is the God of all knowledge and power loves you. That's verses 4 through 7. And then third, the faithful God will reward and strengthen you. It's verses 8 through 12. Uh, so first, God sees you from verses 1 through 3. Well, let's uh, recall back or, or remember back to our verses from last week for a minute. In those verses, Jesus condemned the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He provided this rebuke to the Pharisees in Luke eleven thirty nine: You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Well, the Pharisees cared far more for the outward appearance of holiness, the outward appearance of righteousness, the, the honor and praise that they received from others. They cared far more about that then they cared about honoring the Lord, following the Lord. They desired the praise of man rather than the praise of God. That helps explain Jesus' warning to his disciples in verse 1 of our text this morning to be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
Well, Jesus was telling his disciples to avoid the teaching of the Pharisees. He was telling them to avoid their example, their hypocrisy. Now, leaven is is simply another word for yeast. And so if you are a baker, you know that when you mix a little leaven or, or yeast into the dough, it quickly spreads throughout all of the dough, and it makes the bread rise when it is baked. So what Jesus was, was warning of here was that he was warning his disciples that if they did not avoid the legalistic teaching of the Pharisees, and if they did not avoid the, the hypocritical example of the Pharisees, well, then it would spread in their own lives. It would infect their own lives, just like yeast spreads through a bread. They would become marked by the, the same hypocrisy as the Pharisees. In fact, as, as we saw last week, this is one of the main reasons that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. As the spiritual leaders of Israel, their teaching had spread to many of the people of Israel. They had burdened the people of Israel. They had hindered those who tried to enter the kingdom of heaven by teaching them that true righteousness just consisted in outwardly keeping an enormously long set of rules. Their teaching was like a a fast-growing cancer that quickly spreads through the whole body. It was spread through them. It was spreading through the people. It had corrupted the Pharisees, but it had also corrupted those who had listened to their teaching. It had corrupted those who were led to to follow their example because they thought, well, these are the the spiritual leaders of the nation. So Jesus told his disciples to be on guard. Now, brothers and sisters, that should be a warning to us to be careful about the influences that we allow into our life. And so we might think of influences as, as TV, movies, and friends, and certainly we should be on guard about some of those things. It is not wrong for... Christians to watch movies or TV, but we should be aware that the things we watch can easily influence us, even in ways that we do not notice. Kids and youth, you should be careful about the things that you read and and watch online. They are having an influence on you. And the Bible often uses this illustration of leaven to speak about the dangers of sin. If we allow sin into our lives, if we become comfortable around it, well, it will quickly spread. But I I think the primary warning to Christians here is not about what we might watch. It's not about the the friends we might have. It's a warning to be careful about the so-called Christian teaching that we might allow into our lives. The, the, The teaching that we listen to, that we follow, a teaching has an influence on us. I mean, just to to put it frankly, there is a lot, I mean, a a lot of bad or outright false Christian teaching and preaching available with a quick Google search. I mean, YouTube and and Facebook are filled with false teaching. Some of the the top-selling Christian authors of our time include people like Benny Hinn and Joseph Prince and Joel Osteen, all of whom teach the, the false gospel of health and wealth and prosperity. That sickness and poverty simply come from a a lack of faith. Though, friends, I am sure not everything that that those who preach the health and wealth gospel say is wrong. If you fill yourselves with their teaching, their false gospel will inevitably spread and corrupt your thinking. In the same way the leaven of the Pharisees corrupted the people of Jesus' day. 
So brothers and sisters, be discerning about the things that you read and you watch and you listen to. They have an influence. We must be careful. And if you have questions about that, I'd invite you to come up and I'd be happy to talk with you more about that after the service. I think verse 1 gives us a clue as to why Jesus was providing this warning to his disciples. Notice that the crowds were growing so large that the people were trampling on each other to try to get close enough to hear Jesus. But the, the true danger of these crowds were not that they were crushing one another, but it's that the disciples would be tempted to pander to the crowd, to seek to, to please the crowd, to, to seek to win popularity, to simply tell the crowds what they wanted to hear, instead of preaching the gospel of repentance and faith that would call someone to take up their cross and to follow Jesus. Now, friends, this is the, the same danger that churches face today, that Christians face today. It can be tempting to avoid the hard truths of Scripture in order not to offend, to win an audience. Now, we never want to make it our goal to offend. We should never make it our goal to offend. But faithful churches and faithful pastors and faithful Christians, they must make faithfulness to the truths of God's word their top priority. Not pleasing others. Not pleasing the crowd. Not chasing popularity. I mean, this is what happens to social media influencers. So think just Instagram or, or TikTok celebrities. Now, these people are often called influencers. At least they are in the United States. I don't know how you might know them, but they're called social media influencers. But friends, if you stop to think about it, they're really the ones being influenced. They're chasing likes and followers. And so if they want any sort of influence, if they want any sort of spread, they must say and do the things that their followers want to hear. Now, they certainly have some influence. People listen to them. But they, in many ways, are the ones truly being influenced. In many ways, they have to become hypocrites to keep their following. They have to put on the right public image, the right public face. And brothers and sisters, if you are to be faithful to Jesus Christ, you cannot make the approval of others your highest priority. There is a great danger in making the approval of others your highest priority. Well, what biblical truth can free us Biblical truth can free us from putting on a mask and chasing the, the approval of others. Well, look again at verses 2 and 3. One truth that can free you from hypocrisy and people-pleasing is the reality that God sees you. God sees you. God sees your inner being. And one day, every sin... Every imperfection that you have tried to hide will be revealed. You can work hard to try to hide things about yourself from others. Things that you are afraid that will make others not like you. Things that might bring you shame. But brothers and sisters, you must know that one day those things will be revealed. All of those things that you have tried to stuff into the dark closet of your life will be brought into the light. All those things that you wanted to keep silent and have nobody else know will be shouted from the rooftops. Your secret thoughts, 
the gossip that you whispered, the anger and the, the lust of your heart, all the things that you did to get the praise of others instead of seeking to honor the Lord, it will all be made known. Friends, you can only live as a hypocrite for so long. When Jesus returns, all will be revealed. What will count on that day is not what others thought of you, but whether God will call you his own. Friends, the the root of hypocrisy and people-pleasing is often a fear of having our true selves exposed. If people knew everything about me, would they still like me? People knew everything about me. Would they still like me? But friends, God does see you. And God does know you. God sees you for who you truly are. And yet, if you are his, in his love, he still sent his son to die for you. To take your sins. To take your shame. Christian, when... When Jesus comes again, your secret thoughts and your secret deeds will be made known. But the good news is that you have no need to fear that day. If you've repented and placed your faith in Jesus, he will not be ashamed of you on that day. Though your secret deeds will be made known, he will not be ashamed. He will claim you as his own and you will stand forgiven. Friends, Jesus has seen you for who you truly are. And as yet said, I love you enough to die for you. That brings us to the, the second point of the sermon. That is the God of all knowledge and power loves you. God loves you. Look again at verses uh, 4 through 7. I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Friends, as we've already thought about, hypocrisy or or people-pleasing, fear of man usually grows in a person for one of two reasons. Either a person just loves the approval and the praise of others, and so they're willing to do whatever they can to get it. It's like a drug. I think of like the the social media influencers. They just want the approval of others. They're chasing likes. Or, second, it's because they fear the disapproval of others. They fear any criticism. They fear being shamed, and therefore they seek to look good on the outside to avoid their deepest fear. Fear of being disliked. The fear of being shamed. Well, if we were to, to narrow down Jesus' solution to that fear, that, that second problem, that second reason why, why people seek the approval of others, well, if we were to narrow down Jesus' solution in one sentence, it would be this. Fear God more than you fear man. Fear God more than you fear man. And now before we examine that idea in more detail, I think we should stop for a moment and recognize that Jesus' words in these verses should be something of a caution to any of you who are in a position of authority. Whether that might be uh, as a parent at, at home, 
whether that might be as an employer in the workplace. So we, we thought about this a little bit last week. But it's a warning if you are in a position of authority to not lead through fear. Do not make your children or your employees fear making a mistake because that they know that they will endure your wrath if, if you do make a mistake, or if they do make a mistake. Again, we thought about this last week, but if you, if you lead through fear, it's simply just going to teach your children or your employees or any other person that you might have some authority or influence over. It's going to just teach them to hide their mistakes, to lie. It'll teach them to put on a performance when you are, not around, when you are around to avoid your wrath. Now, for a time, you may get your, your children and you may get your employees to behave as you want. But in the end, you will lose their heart. Now, that being said, Jesus' words here are directed most pointedly not to those who are in authority, but to those of us who struggle with seeking the approval of others above all else. Now, that can happen to us whether we are in a position of authority or not. Jesus is speaking to those who fear the disapproval of others. And Jesus gives three truths. He gives three truths that can help free us from that fear. The first is that other people have limited power and authority. The second, God has ultimate power and authority. And then third, God cares for you and his love is secure. We're going to look at each of those just, just briefly here. So first, that other people have limited power and authority. And Jesus warned his disciples and he warned you not to fear those who can kill the body. In other words, do not fear other people, because the absolute worst thing that they can do, the very worst thing that they can do to you, is kill you. Now, for most of you, I doubt that you really fear being killed by others. Maybe. But my guess is that you are tempted to fear something far less severe than somebody killing you. You uh, fear a harsh word, a raised eyebrow, a disapproving glance. Uh, a word of gossip being spoken behind your back about you. An unkind word. However, Jesus was speaking to the disciples, many of whom would one day be killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. But he told them that the absolute worst thing someone else can do to them was that. Now you may be thinking, that sounds pretty bad. And I would agree with you, that is pretty bad. But it is still true that that is the worst thing someone can do to you. And that truth can free you from the fear of others for two reasons. First, if you're a Christian, death is ultimately a reward. We escape this world of sin and death and go to be with the Lord. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's better. He'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord because that is better. Christian, that is the day that we are looking forward to. We're not looking forward to our next vacation. We're looking forward to eternal life. And so, friends, if even death works for your good, how much more can you have faith that God is working all other things together for your good as well? If even death is going to be a good thing for you, how much more can you trust that God is working all things together for your good? So when you find yourself fearing others, simply ask, what is the worst thing they can do to me? 
And then tell yourself that God is in control. God is in control of even that. And then the second reason that can be encouraging is because there is something worse than physical death. Other people cannot do the worst thing. There is something worse than physical death. There is someone who has the power to do more than kill the body. There is one who can also throw people into hell. Brings us to the the second truth that Jesus gives that can free us from seeking the approval of others. That is because God has ultimate power and authority. Friends, the, the one who has the authority to throw people into hell after death is not Satan. Satan himself is cast into hell by God. Hell is the place of punishment for Satan as as well as Satan's followers. Satan does not have the power to cast anyone into hell. The one who has the power and authority to throw people into hell after death is God. Therefore, God is the one that you should fear. It is his approval that you should truly desire. Because his disapproval can lead to something far worse than just the physical death. It can lead to spiritual death. It does lead to spiritual death. Friends, on one hand, the fear of the Lord is a fear of his judgment. If you are here and not a Christian, if you've never confessed your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are right to fear eternal judgment. You are right to fear death. You are right to fear being cast into hell. But friends, that fear is intended to lead you to repentance and faith. That fear is intended to lead you to repentance and faith. If your life is characterized by deliberate, unrepentant sin, a fear of judgment of God should cause you to examine your heart to see if you truly are in the faith. However, if you are a Christian... The fear of the Lord is is not a terrifying expectation of judgment. If you are a Christian, you do not have to fear judgment because Jesus has purchased your pardon and freed you from the wrath of God. As Hebrews puts it, the the fear of the Lord is, is something closer to a reverential awe. It is seeing God for who he is, for an extreme love of God that sees his goodness, his magnificence, his glory, his holiness, and therefore leans on him in trust, turns to him in reverence. It's, a, it's, it's, it's seeing God's overwhelming kindness and goodness. It's seeing those truths about the glory of who God really is that is that third truth that can free you from the fear of others. first two truths is that people do not have ultimate authority. God has ultimate authority, but also God cares for you and his love is secure. Notice at the beginning of his warning in verse 4, Jesus calls his disciples friends. Even as he is calling them to fear God, he is simultaneously assuring them of his love for them. They are his friends. And then notice what Jesus says about God in verses 6 and 7. He says first that if God has not forgotten even the small sparrows, which are just really small birds. Don't know if you have sparrows where you're from, but they're very, very small and insignificant birds. He says that if God has not forgotten even the small sparrows that are sold for a durham or two in the marketplace, then he has not forgotten you either. In fact, God knows you and cares for you so intimately that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Now look, 
Delane and I celebrated our 12-year wedding anniversary just a few weeks ago. After 12 years, I am no closer to knowing how many hairs she has on her head than I was at the beginning. I'm pretty confident that Delane has no idea how many hairs are on my head, though there are fewer to count than there was when we got married. But God cares for you so much. God knows you so well that he even knows the number of hairs that are on your head. Friends, when it feels like you've been forgotten, when it feels like you have been abandoned by others, you can be confident that God has not forgotten you. Proverbs 27.10 Even if my mother and father forsake me, I know the Lord will take me in. Friends, even though God knows all the secret corners of your heart, he loves you anyway. Let's look at verse 7. You do not need to fear others because if God cares for the sparrows, he certainly cares for you. Brothers and sisters, you are far more valuable than any bird. I think that probably seems obvious if you stop to think about it, and yet it's important enough that God is going to tell you about it. You are far more valuable than any bird. Friends, maybe you need to hear that. Maybe that's a truth that you struggle to believe, that God really cares for you. But you are far more valuable than the sparrows. If you are a Christian, God set his love on you before the foundation of the world. His love is secure. It's faithful. It's steadfast. And it's everlasting. And friends, the greatest evidence of this is that God did not cast you off because of your sin. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you from your sins, to die for your sins so that you might be adopted into his family. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. But God proves his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? And friends, think of those tremendous promises from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, what glorious promises those are. What can other people do to you? They cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, do not fear those who kill can kill the body. Fear him who has the power to throw the soul into hell, even after death. Brothers and sisters, it is faith in the never-ending love of God for you that can free you from chasing the approval of others. Friends, the reality is that you will serve the one that you fear the most. Or you will serve the thing that you fear the most. The one that you fear most is the thing or the person to whom you will give your devotion. Just like you cannot serve God and money, you cannot serve both God and other people. You cannot always please both. You cannot always please both, so the question you must ask yourself is, whom will I serve? So friends, if you want to be freed from serving others and pleasing others, remember that God has ultimate authority. But that his love for you is steadfast and secure. 
And because his love is secure, you can be confident that the faithful God will reward and strengthen you. That was the third point of the sermon. That the faithful God will reward and strengthen you. Look again at verse 8. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Friends, if you need any more evidence that you should fear God rather than other people, you get that evidence in these verses. Why should you fear the Lord? Because Jesus says, those who acknowledge the Son of Man, Jesus, before others, that he will acknowledge you before the angels of God. Friends, that title, Son of Man, is not just a way for Jesus to say that he is human. No, that is a divine title. It comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, in which Daniel sees a vision of a divine ruler, the Messiah, coming in glory from heaven, who will be given a kingdom and who will be given authority. Friends, this is a vision of Jesus. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man throughout the Gospels. He is pointing back to that vision from Daniel. And in these verses, Jesus says that when he comes again in glory... He will acknowledge before the angels of God those who have acknowledged him before men. Which is another way of saying that he will acknowledge those who acknowledge him before God himself. In Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. In other words, when Jesus comes again in his glory, when he descends from the clouds like Daniel saw in that vision, The angels of God will be with him, and in their presence before God, Jesus will acknowledge and honor those who acknowledged him before men. On that day, Christians will receive an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. They will be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. Friends, on that day, they will receive the reward of eternal life. On the other hand... Whoever denies Jesus before others will be denied by Jesus before God. They will not receive eternal life. They will receive eternal judgment. They are the ones who will say, Lord, Lord, on the last day. But Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Kids, have your parents ever embarrassed you in public? Have your parents ever done anything in public that made you want to walk quickly in the other direction saying, I don't know them. Please do not think that I belong to these people. Parents are great about doing things like that, aren't they? When you become a parent, you'll realize that it's kind of fun to do things like that sometimes. My friends, kids, it's one thing to be sometimes embarrassed at your parents. They probably deserve it sometimes. Not me, but Delane certainly does. But this should not be your attitude towards Jesus. It can never be your attitude towards Jesus. In John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, 
understand that it hated me before it hated you. And the world hates Jesus. And so there will be times when the world hates his followers. There are times when faithfulness to Jesus will lead to disapproval from others. From your family, perhaps. From friends. From colleagues. From others. Friends, when those times come, will you acknowledge Jesus or not? Will you be proud of Jesus? Or will you be ashamed of him? Will you speak up? Or will you be quiet? Friends, I know I've told you the story of Polycarp before, but I think it's been a while, and I think it's worth repeating here. So Polycarp, funny name, not a funny life story. He was one of the earliest Christian martyrs in the history of the church. He was burned at the stake by the Romans for his faith. Well, after he was arrested, before he was burned at the stake, a Roman official came to Polycarp and said that he could be freed from being burned at the stake. His life would be spared if he would simply renounce his faith. If he would fail to acknowledge Jesus. If he would refuse to acknowledge Jesus and reject him. This is what Polycarp said in response. Eighty and six years I have served him, meaning Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. So Polycarp went to the stake and forfeited his life. But Polycarp knew that there was one greater to fear than the ones who could kill the body. This is what it looks like to fear God more than man. That is what it looks like to acknowledge Jesus before others. Friends, again, Jesus was speaking these words here, knowing that many of his disciples who were listening would be persecuted for their faith. Many would be martyred just like Polycarp. Jesus was preparing them for what was to come. He was encouraging them to faithfulness. Now again, I I think it's unlikely any of you will face death for your faith. I do think it is worth asking, what then does it look like for you to acknowledge Jesus before others? Friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian, know that that must start with repentance and faith. It is to confess your sins, to turn and follow Jesus as Lord. He must be king of your life. You must repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. But friends, if you are here and a Christian, if you have repented and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging Jesus before others might simply mean that you need to not hide the fact that you are a Christian. It can be shown in a a willingness to let your family know that you're a Christian, though they might forsake you. It might be shown by telling your colleagues that you went to church when they asked what you did with your off day, what you did on your weekend. Let them know that you went to church. Friends, acknowledging Jesus before others certainly means sharing the gospel, even if it comes at some personal risk. Friends, for some of you, acknowledging Jesus may mean that you finally need to obey God and be baptized and join a church. Friends, Jesus commands his followers to be baptized because baptism is a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. It is a public profession of your faith. It is a way of publicly acknowledging him before others. 
Peter and Michaela and Princey. This is what you will be doing next week when you're baptized. You'll be getting up before others and publicly acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. It is a way to publicly acknowledge Jesus before others. Friends, acknowledging Jesus before others also means that you obey him even when it is hard. Even when obedience might come at some personal cost. It's because you fear God more than you fear others. Friends, it means humbling yourself and confessing your sin when you do wrong and not hiding it and ignoring it, even if it might be shameful to confess. Because you fear God more than you fear the shame that might come from others. Brothers and sisters, Jesus commands an acknowledgement of him, not just in word, but in deed. When trials come, when difficulties come, that is where your faith is put to the test. I'm just saying about that in that song, when trials come. When those trials come, will you acknowledge Jesus, even if it might cost you something? Or will you be a hypocrite? Will you say one thing, but do another? Will your actions match your profession of faith? Friends, uh, the truth is that we're all tempted to be ashamed of Jesus when it might cost us something. Friends, thanks be to God that we have a Savior who is not ashamed of us. Jesus did not shrink back from the cross, but obeyed the Father even to the point of death. He took the ridicule of others. He took their mocking. He took their beating. And he was crucified on your behalf. And friends, because of his faithfulness, we can be forgiven and receive the reward of eternal life. Friends, there will be times when we fail to acknowledge Jesus. There are times when we will be ashamed. There are times when you will be silent when you should have spoken. But because of the work of Jesus, God is faithful to forgive us even of that. The Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times, and yet he repented, and God forgave him and restored him. In verse 10, Jesus says that anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, the unforgivable sin that Jesus is speaking of here is not our moments of weakness when we, like Peter, choose to remain silent instead of speaking up. The unforgivable sin is not suicide, or adultery, or premarital sex, or homosexuality, or divorce, or murder, or anything like that. Now, as the the theologian D.A. Carson put it, the unforgivable sin is rejection of the truth of the gospel in full awareness that this is exactly what one is doing, thoughtfully, willfully, and self-consciously rejecting the work of the Spirit. And speaking a word against Jesus can be forgiven. Peter was forgiven. Friends, you can be forgiven of your moments of weakness. Friends, we were all blasphemers of Jesus before he saved us. We all failed to acknowledge Jesus. However, friends, what will not be forgiven is a willful and continual rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to who Jesus is. A continual rejection of the gospel. This may have been what the Pharisees did when they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the work of Satan. They heard his teaching. They had the Old Testament scriptures. 
They were witnesses to the miracles that he performed by the power of the Spirit, and yet they called it the work of Satan. Friends, let me just encourage you for a moment that if you're worried that you have committed the unforgivable sin, that is a pretty good indication that you have not. Your concern shows a desire for forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It shows a concern for, for following after God. And friends, it's also unclear just when a rejection of the Spirit's witness to the truth of the gospel becomes unforgivable. I tend to think that what Jesus means here is a lifelong rejection of the gospel. A continual and a, a lifelong failure to acknowledge him. For just continuing to harden your hearts towards the truths of scripture. Perhaps for sitting in church week after week and year after year just to enjoy the good reputation of others but with no sincere desire to follow Jesus. It's to reject the gospel over and over willfully though you know the truth. I mean, the Apostle Paul was killing Christians when God saved him. He was on his way to kill more Christians, and yet God saved him. And so, friends, you should never, and I mean never, assume that someone is beyond the hope of the gospel. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing the gospel with them. All things are possible with God because it is God who saves. God is the one who saves. But brothers and sisters, even as I provide that word of encouragement and hope regarding what Jesus is saying here, these hard words of Jesus in verse 10, do not lose sight of the warning of this passage. It is a serious thing to fail to acknowledge Jesus. Friends, it is a serious thing to continue in unrepentant sin, to be unwilling to give up your sin and to follow Jesus. Friends, you are not to be ashamed of your Savior or the gospel because the gospel is the power of God to save. You are to stand firm in the faith and you are called to persevere to the end because it is only those who persevere to the end who will be saved. But brothers and sisters, again take heart because the God who saved you and the God who will reward you is the same God who strengthens you. Look again at verses 11 and 12. Jesus told his disciples not to worry when persecution came, or when the political and religious leaders began to threaten them. Why? He said, because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Brothers and sisters, you can cling to the promise that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He has given you his spirit to dwell within you, in that, and it is his spirit that can and will strengthen you to acknowledge Jesus before others. The same Peter who denied Jesus three times was later hauled before the religious leaders of his day after Jesus had gotten back up to heaven and rejoiced at the suffering that he endured at their hands and told them to their face that they must acknowledge God. They must obey God rather than man. Friends, you cannot stand firm in your own strength, but only by the strength of the Holy Spirit. The power to acknowledge Jesus before others does not come from you. It comes from God. But friends, that is wonderful news. Brothers and sisters, the strength to be free of hypocrisy and people-pleasing does not come from you either. It comes from God. And so trust in and rest in the God who sees you. Rely on the God who has all power. Trust in the God who knows you so intimately and yet loves you. 
and place your hope in the God who will reward and strengthen you. Friends, pray that the the Holy Spirit will strengthen you to believe these things. Pray that the Spirit would strengthen you to endure. Pray that the Spirit would make you ready for the trials that will come. And pray that the Spirit will help you to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray.